So good to see you guys. You guys can be seated. I feel like just the, the buzz in the air when God's people are just hanging out and talking and connecting is like a holy roar. It's just a really beautiful thing. Because um, I think it's what we see in the scriptures of just gathering together and just true fellowship. So we've kind of incorporated that into our service actually in recent days just to make it a priority that we're connecting with the people around us and uh, building that community. So I'm so thankful that you're here. If this is your first time at Fathom Church, uh, we just want to welcome you. We really pray that this is an amazing experience for you, not because you've encountered a church, but you've encountered um, God. You've encountered God in a very unique way, and you have an opportunity to grow in your faith Uh, but also in family and those relationships with the people around you. And we think the two are so interconnected. You can't have one without the other. If we look into the scriptures, it's the gathering together. It's so important. So we're we're glad that you're gathered together. And if this is your first time, um, we'd love to connect with you after the service. All the Connect tent, we've got a special gift for you for your first three visits. But uh, more than anything, from the bottom of our heart, our church family just wants to say, welcome home. We just want to say welcome home. Pray this is an opportunity for you to feel at home. So we're going to dive into the scriptures. I don't know if you guys have have, uh, heard about this prison break. Did you guys hear about the prison break in upstate New York? Pretty crazy. Yeah, it's up where you're from. So it's pretty crazy uh, of what took place because they they got power tools, apparently. I'm I'm guessing you heard this. How how do inmates get power tools, first of all? But like power tools and nobody heard it. And so they used one of the power tools to cut through like four inches of steel or like two to four inches of steel. Any kind of steel is hard to cut through. They cut through four inches of that, and then they go through like four feet of like concrete wall, like block. So they had to have like a jackhammer. Like, how do you not hear the jackhammer going off um, in the middle of the night when they're trying to escape? And then they go through this long, like 24-inch tunnel they're crawling through and then cut out of like a manhole. It's just insane. And so I don't know if uh, you're all out here. I don't know if you got out of here because of a prison break, or you just walked in your own freedom, I'm guessing the freedom. And, and I know mo- most of you have probably never seen the inside of a prison before. Maybe you've been in there to, uh, for, for various reasons. Um, we won't bring that up. We'll ask you to raise your hand or stand up on the chair and, and confess in, in this manner. But uh, uh, maybe you've been on visiting someone. But uh, jail's not a fun place, I'll, I'll tell you that much. I, I've been in um, for just visiting folks and encouraging people uh, on a pretty regular basis here in the city. And uh, it's not a fun place. Um, there's a lot of pain. Uh, one of the guys I know that was connected with this community, and the first week that he, um, that, uh, he was there, he saw someone hang themselves. Um, in, he saw them do it, like with a towel or something. So it's not a fun place. There's a lot of desperation that happens there. And we're actually going to turn to a text today in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to cut the small talk short today, and we're going to dive right in. Because here's what I know, is that many of you or most of you probably haven't been in a prison before, but um, I think many of us have, have maybe not lived on the, uh, on the inside of a prison, but we've lived a prison on the inside, if that makes sense. We've we felt a sense of bondage before and, and uh, some chains, if you will, on the inside. And we're going to go to a text that I think God wants to really bust open, and I've got so much in my heart to share, and God will lead me to what exactly that is. Um, I usually don't teach with notes, but there's so much this morning that my brain really can't comprehend it all in one thing. So we're going to be diving into Acts chapter 16. And if you were with us two weeks ago, we looked to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's the church at Philippi. So this whole summer, we've been going to different stops on our summer road trip that God met people and God did incredible things. And today we're going to a prison of all places where God did some incredible things. And uh, two weeks ago, we kind of discovered uh, Paul was sharing with the church and encouragement unity in the body. And at this Philippi church that, uh, that's on Paul's missionary travels, and Paul is on a mission trip, 
at this time, and he ends up getting thrown in prison. Like, that's when you know your mission trip went bad or really good uh, if you're getting thrown in prison for, for what you're doing. And so the, Paul and Silas get thrown in there. But there's this lady named Lydia, and she's the first convert. She's a businesswoman. She's the first convert there. Her whole family ends up getting saved. And we're kind of going to be seeing, like, the second converts, like the second people in this city that we read about in Scripture if you'll remember, this was not a Jewish town. There was like very little Jewish population. So people worshiped and served a lot of different gods, but it wasn't kind of this Jewish heritage that we see a lot in the New Testament. So there was no, temp- no synagogue. There was no place to go and pray. So they just kind of picked a place, probably outside the city a little bit, and it was just a place of prayer. So Paul is heading out there one day with Silas. I'm just kind of recapping the story, and then we're diving in when they're in jail. And uh, so they're out there and kind of going out to this place of prayer. And this lady starts following them, screaming, like, what they're up to. Like, first of all, I just think they were probably super annoyed at this lady. And apparently this lady, like, could tell the future. She had some spirit by which she could tell the future. And they, they were, I think, getting frustrated and annoyed by this lady, probably more than anything just because she was yelling <laughs> at them, not even for their work, because the people probably didn't understand what a missionary trip was as much as we do right now. Um, so she's so screaming, she can tell the future, and I think he gets so frustrated, he turns around and he casts this spirit, whatever his spirit is, out of her, and, and so not only did she kind of um, like tone it down, I think they probably tried some other things first, like, hey, this is where you're at, this is where you need to be, <laughs> use your inside voice, you know, they probably tried a lot of different things, uh, and then after those didn't work, it was like, we were casting the spirit out of her, so they did, and the thing about that is she was a slave, and so she had an owner, and the whole reason that she did this, the whole reason she told the future was to make money for her owners. So when the spirit gets cast out, all their money, revenue, that this lady, I don't know how good she was at it, but she was making them some kind of money because these guys get really mad. Like, it's like just taking all the income that's coming from them. So again, there, many times in the New Testament, people are dragged before, like, authorities. It's like religious authorities, but there's not religious authorities here, or Jewish ones. And, and so they're just dragged before the authorities, and then they're beaten, they're flogged, and they're thrown in jail. And that's where we're picking up, okay? So just to give you a little context of where we're picking up. So we're going to read through this text, about 16 verses. We'll kind of tap, tap the brakes a couple. And then I want to unpack one particular aspect of this for the next, uh, next few minutes. When he received these orders, um, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So you can just kind of imagine them. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Just kind of get a picture of this. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So as opposed to just kind of recognizing them, just go, bam, it's like first, like the floor is kind of coming loose, the doors fly open, this crazy earthquake in the middle of the night. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. There's no emergency floodlights coming on, they're in the dark, so he doesn't even know if anybody's still there. He's flipping out, he's about to kill himself. Paul shouts, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, you know, they're bringing in the whatever little candles they've got, rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he, uh, um, he then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So immediately, we think he's falling at their feet just to say, like, thank you or something. But if you think about this, they were overhearing him pray and worship. And so I think there's something deeper to this that the rest of the text is going to unveil to us. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, we're like in the middle of the night here, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then he immediately, he and all his household were baptized. Can you just get a picture of this? They're just like, walk up out of the jail, because it's not like the jail we see. It was probably just like a little house, you know, it was kind of makeshift more than anything. And they go get baptized in the middle of the night after this earthquake. It's just this incredible kind of story. Um, the jailer brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Uh, when it was daylight, the magistrates, the authorities, uh, sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. So finally, they're like, how about that? I mean, just think about what happened. Like, when your chains came loose, would you hang around? Like, let's be real. Like, this is my ticket. This is my stop. I'll be going now. Like, God, I was just praying, and then doors open, chains loose. Like, all right, I'm going to go. They, they see this guy, and then it becomes this incredible ministry opportunity. They weren't even probably thinking about anybody else that was listening the whole time. When it was daylight, um, so anyway, they, they send the order to release them. Listen to what Paul says, because we wouldn't react this way either. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates, the authorities, have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Paul's not cool with that. Like, he's not. That's not going to work. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And, and now they just want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. Like, how many of you would, like, respond this way? Like, no, it ain't good enough. I got beat yesterday. And, like, I want you to bring your behind down here and you to walk me out. I'm not just going to walk out and get out of your way. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. That was a big deal. It's another day. Uh, they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Remember, we talked about Lydia, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Just an incredible story, and the responses of the guys in prison are not what we might think. I think there's a lot that God wants to share into this, and I don't have time to get into everything, but there's a couple things I want to hone in on, and we're going to spend some time unpacking those. One is that many times when the doors um, break open and in our lives, our prayer and our worship is focused on our circumstance, right? When we pray to God, it's focused on our circumstance. And our worship, if we're going through something, it's kind of pushing through all of our circumstance, which is the reality. And most of the time, what we want to do is eject out of our circumstance. But if we look to this text, God might not want to be ejecting us out of our circumstance. He might want to inject his presence into our circumstance so that others might be saved, that, that it might be more about his glory and renown. And what, what kind of sets all this up is that we shape our whole world around our own world and not around the belief that it's centered on God. You know, it's like this idea like before we understood that the, the sun is the middle of the universe, we thought that what? We thought the earth was, you guys remember this? You probably learned this in elementary school. It's like one of those things you probably forget. You're like, oh yeah, the sun is at the middle. And we're kind of floating around that. And, and so we kind of do that and we become very kind of, uh, I don't want to call it egocentric, but we do. Everything kind of goes through that lens and it should be centered on God and not just our circumstance. So God wants to inject his presence into our circumstance. So let's go into the text. And what I really want to hone in on is this idea of what was happening before the chains came loose. What was happening before people were baptized and it was just this great story of testimony and God being good. Like, let's, let's, let's rewind a little bit. What was happening when it was the middle of the night 
and they were just praying, and they were just singing songs to God, and they were just worshiping. Like, let, let's rewind this thing a little bit, because we can get caught up in the rest of this, but we've got to understand it. So I want to take the time today to, to really unpack prayer, and, and time will, and I'm going to try to unpack worship as well. So I've got a lot I want to share, so I'm just going to dive in. Um, and really, to, to kind of walk through these, I, I want to kind of discuss it in three ways. And you know, preachers, they like to use things that rhyme, right? Isn't that like a really good preacher thing? You use things that rhyme, or you use things that start with the same letter? Well, I came up with, with three that it really it helps us remember it. And it's first, the posture of prayer. It's the purpose of prayer and the power of prayer. I think this text and, and so many others, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture. We're going to talk about it. So, so let, let me unpack posture for a second. I, I, I hated baseball when I was a kid. I, I tried it one season, uh, like a t, it wasn't t-ball, but it was a, just a regular pitch. And uh, I was terrible at it. It wasn't that good at it. I did get most improved, which I felt like so close to being MVP, right? But I was, I was the MIP, <laughs> most improved. And so I, I always took it as a compliment, like, hey, you're getting better, but like you must have started really bad. So um, it's always kind of like a backhanded compliment. Um, so anyway, I played that, and I hated baseball for the longest time, but in the past, I don't know, six or seven years, I've really started to fall in love with baseball in a really awesome way, mainly, I think, because my hometown team is getting a lot better, the Tampa Rays, and so we've been good for a while, so it's just easy, it's easier to cheer when the team's winning, right? And so one of the things that I've learned about baseball is that how you approach the plate matters. Like, if you approach the plate, and it's not just all physical. Physical plays into it, and we'll talk about that more with worship. But what I want to get into this posture is the posture of the mind, the posture of the heart. The approach to the plate matters. Like, if you don't have the right approach to the plate, you're going to strike out with those 90-mile-an-hour fastballs like, that are coming through. And so many times, I, I think we've bought into this idea and understanding that when it comes to worship, let's worship in our own way. When it comes to prayer, let's pray in our own way. But you know, I think the scriptures teach against that, honestly. I think Jesus, in fact, the disciples didn't know how to pray, and they said, teach us how to pray. I think there are wrong approaches, and so if we feel like we're striking out in our prayer life, if we feel like we can't connect with God in our worship, maybe, maybe there's something to this. I mean, I think there, there is something to be said. There's a unique circumstance in our life. There's a unique personality, and we connect with God in different ways, but I think when it comes to our approach to God, Jesus maps that out for us. So I want to unpack the posture, the approach to the plate, if you will. And four, four little things. I don't know why this sermon ends up falling into a bunch of fours. And so I'm trying to be fast, so I'm going to throw them up there, and, and we'll just keep moving. Again, on the YouVersion app, if you follow that on your Bible, all the notes are on there. Literally, almost all of my notes are, are on there, so you can take that. And they're up all week, so feel free to go find that. I, I think the first thing that we see in Jesus, when they, first of all, they say, teach us to pray. So guys that are with Jesus all the time, guys that some, most of them are good Jews, you know, so they, they knew prayers. They knew the Shema. They, they, they knew Deuteronomy chapter 6 and like the Lord our God is one, you know. Um, let's love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Like they, they knew those prayers and they come to Jesus and, and said, teach us to pray. So I think it takes an amount of humility. If you're in, in the house today and like you, you literally, we, we, we go to pray and like I don't know what to pray. Like God, our Father, like my son, like he's just learning to pray, you know. So he, he prays like the little prayers, um, like at dinner time. They're super cute and adorable, and he's learning that. But I think even as adults, sometimes we don't we don't know how to pray. So I think one of the most honest things we can do is say, "God, teach us to pray." And when they did that, Jesus responded with the Lord's Prayer we find in Matthew chapter six. Um, we, we see it in, in a couple of different places, but this is the one place. And he says, "Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, or hallowed be." your name, our Father. So approach him as Father, which is a messy 
is a messy analogy for some of us in the house, that you don't have a relationship with your father, your father, father was a terrible father, or you, you've never known him. So that can be a messy, you know, kind of thing for us to understand, but this idea of approaching God as Father is not in our earthly knowledge and understanding, but in, in a heavenly sense. That he's not, the, the idea of holy is a set-apart God. He's, he's different from all the other lowercase g gods. He's the one true living capital G God. And so we're to approach him as Father in heaven. So there's this sense of, of honor and reverence for a God that's so far above us in our earthly kind of mindset. And so I, I think it leans in that we've got to approach him humbly, Approach him humbly. I think the second thing is uh, approaching honestly. Approaching honestly. And, and, and this may seem weird, particularly from what is said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, which is the right before he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And, and Jesus says, look, remember this. Before you start praying, God knows everything. He, he knows what you're thinking, and he knows what, to, uh, what you really need to pray for. He knows even before you ask him. That's what Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 says. So before you ever go in, remember this. There's no point in lying, right? It's like you go into a meeting and like you're maybe going to get in trouble or something. Maybe this is with mom or with husband or wife, and they know already. What's the point in keeping on the charade? This this actually might be a good reference for you to think about mom. You go in, she knows already. Like she's asking questions for a reason because she knows she's just trying to get you to be honest. So I think praying honestly is is as much about being honest with ourselves because you're not going to surprise God. But many times in our prayers, we can't be honest with ourselves. And I think that's the first step. Like, we're not hiding anything. You're not going to surprise God. And God can handle the honest because he already knows it. He already knows it. I mean, you look at 70% of the Psalms are complaining or lament. We have a book in the Bible called Lamentations, which basically means complaints. So God can handle the complaints, but there's always got to be a but in there where we, we begin to declare and always approach him humbly and honestly. Pray constantly. The scriptures are so rich and full with constantly. And this is one I struggled with for a while. Because one of the translations I would read said, pray without ceasing. You, you might have heard this. And, and for me, that was like, man, that sounds insane. Like, how can you pray without ceasing? Like, literally all the time? Because, I mean, we just had this idea of what kind of prayer was. And some of the other translations just mean continually, like steadfast, constantly be praying. And so that helps me kind of wrap my brain around it. 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Acts chapter 1, 14, and they're, they're joined together in prayer, and, and, and they're devoted to prayer. Romans chapter 12, it says, Be faithful in prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, Be devoted. The, the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, gathering together, being together, doing dinner with one another. They weren't doing life alone. They, they were devoted to the Lord's Supper and the breaking of bread, which is what we're doing uh, every week here. And they were devoted to the last thing, prayer. And I think if we look at the things in our life, if we're honest with ourselves for a second, the things that we're devoted to, devoted to that, can- that game of Candy Crush, we're really devoted to it. We're really devoted to our jobs. We're really devoted to our kids. We're really devoted to our our hobbies, right? We're really devoted to those things. Come on, let's be honest. None of those are bad things. But we miss out on this thing, devoting to prayer. No, that's religious. Well, what about the rest of your life? 
And so we've got to lean in and know that God, and what we're going to get into in the purpose here in just a second is that God wants communion with us. He wants constant communication and connection. Like if I just walked, I can't imagine living, you know, obviously with my wife and just communicating to her on Sundays for like an hour. <laughs> like this is the time we're going to talk, God, or, or babe, no, I'm just kind of mixing the, the stories now. This is the time we're going to talk, babe. This is your hour. This is your 30 minutes. This is your, this is your five minutes during communion that we get to talk. Okay? All right, you ready? Set. Go. And then, I don't know if you, we used to do long distance. We did long distance for like two years, nine hours apart. It was rough. But we learned to communicate. More so, I learned to communicate. <laughs> I'll just be real. I learned to communicate during that. It was so good for our relationship because I, I had to learn it. And sometimes, after we hadn't talked, because we wouldn't see each other for six, eight weeks, um, something like that, in between. And, and so when we would get to talk, sometimes it's like, I don't even know what to say because there's just so much, Right? I don't know how to put it all into words. When we start constantly communicating, everything's just flowing a little more. Everything's a little more fluid, just like in our natural relationships, the same thing, the relationships with God. The last one's actually really powerful when it talks about um, praying boldly, and the scriptures teach on this, Matthew 7, 7, actually in that same sermon, that first sermon on the mount, the big one, that uh, he teaches us how to pray. In chapter 7, verse 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you, knock, knock. uh, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Ephesians 3 verse 12 says, in him and through faith in him, talking about Jesus, we may approach God with what? Freedom and confidence or boldness, some other translations will do. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach, we talked about approach, God's throne of grace with confidence or boldness, other translations will say, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I, I, they weren't praying timid little prayers in the prison, Paul and Silas. I think they were praying humble prayers, but I think they were praying honest prayers. I think you can see on the other side of it, Paul is not okay with what has happened. Like, he is not all about the circumstance of being locked up. He'd rather be doing ministry or hanging out with Lydia and her family, the people he's, you know, um, seen come to the Lord. Like, he's got a lot of other things on his mind. And then they're praying loud enough, they're singing loud enough that others are hearing them. It's not some nice little kind of prayer down on the inside. There is something happening in that prison. So there's a, we can approach God with confidence. You know, if you, if you come up to the plate and you just think that, man, I don't know, he, he, didn't, he didn't answer the past three prayers, so I doubt he's going to answer this one, you know. Approach with confidence. That's faith. Like, approach with faith. Like, we all have a, a different kind of level of faith. We're different walks in our faith, and God wants that to increase as we encourage one another and get to know him and know his character. God wants to inject his presence. But we can approach boldly. But I think it's all four of these that come into play and we really understand how the right posture, the right mental and heart posture to approach God with. I hope that helps. There's a lot more I could say on that. But let's go on to the purpose, the purpose of prayer. Because I think this is, this is big. And I want to actually go ahead and throw these up because I think if, if we look at these, if we follow them kind of from the bottom up, if you'll go ahead and throw the, the four of those up. If we, I think this is, if we look at number four, I feel like this is where we start when we're more immature in our belief. I, I think we really start with, when we come to God, it's more like a genie in a bottle. we got to rub the right way, right? So I, I think that's how we usually end up approaching God early on. Hey, God, so my bills are due and I don't have any money. Like, you know, so now I'm praying. You know, so now I need you, God, or, or now somebody's sick. So now, God, oh, I'm really coming to you. I think when we're immature and really early on in our walk, that's really the, kind of where our prayers start, Right? Then we get a little further, and God, God helps us out in our situation, and we come a little further. We start thanking him for things. Like, we start praying at meals, and we start, you know, thank God. I just want to thank God for, you know, we got a new job. Like, we're, we're really excited about it. 
Thank God for his protection. Thank God my kid can read, and he was unhooked on phonics, and, you know, what, whatever, and, like, just moving forward, like, we begin to thank God. And I think we, we begin to pray more honest prayers, and we're like, God, help me, help me align. And we get into this submission or the alignment with the will of God. I think on and on, we, we slowly, slowly but surely, in, in this maturing process, we get to this place where we understand that God wants communion with us, that, that, that everything doesn't have to have an agenda, you know? I'm a pastor, and so I, I lead people, obviously, and I get together with people, and, and some of the things that I feel like every meeting I have with people has some agenda, like we got to work through the counseling stuff, or we got to work on a project for church, or everything's got an agenda, so I love the times when I'm like, nope, no agenda, we're just going to be together. There's no agenda, and so many times, like, communion with God is really not, it's not always about the agenda, it's just about being with him. And so I think as we mature in the faith, we, we kind of start to get these things in order. And like petitions or requests, you know, are still important. Intercession and praying for others is important. But we begin to start with this thing, God, I just want to be with you. And I know more, I know that you want to be with me. And there's freedom in that. There's great freedom in that. I don't have to be worried about how I'm approaching. I'm living the life God's called me to. I'm walking in that. I'm submitted to the will of God. I mean, Jesus not only told us this in that prayer, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, when's the last time? I mean, most of the time we approach it with an agenda. Like this is, God, so here's what I'm thinking. If you could get on the same page with me, that'd be super. You know, I, I think if I was in that prison, like my thoughts would be, okay, doors open, I'm out. That's, this is my stop, guys, I'm out. And so that would be my agenda. But God had a different agenda. I think they were listening to the voice of God. I think Paul was in tune with the spirit here to not rush out of there because God wanted to do something in that prison that was more than about getting him up out of it, of the circumstance. God was, they were ushering in God's presence into that circumstance and know that God can do that in your life, whatever circumstance you're going through. And that turned out so much better for that guy's life. It turned out so much better for Paul. They ended up getting escorted out. They ended up getting served and washed up by the people who had imprisoned them. It turned out so much better. God wants communion with steadfast communion. Jesus cements that prayer, not only teaching us, but living it in the garden when he said, it'd be super, Dad, <laughs> if I could, this cup could pass from me. But he said, but not my will, yours be done. He went to the cross for us. So he not only declared it, but he lived it. Not only taught it, but he embodied it. Uh, let's go to power. Let's go to the power of prayer. Again, I'm, I'm all obsessed with the fours for some reason. I don't know why. I don't even like the number four. But uh, there's, there's four kind of per things of power I think I want to bring. First, I think is revelation. Revelation is God revealing himself to us. And most of the time when we pray, we're praying for a revelation of, you know, God, um, reveal this about my circumstances, but what I think what God wants to get us into is where we're, we just want to see his face. We're, we're less concerned with revealing everything about our circumstance. God, if I can just see your face, if I can just know you're here, I think there's so many instances in the Bible. I think about the three Hebrew boys in the fire, and God reveals himself, and there's a fourth figure in the fire. God reveals himself, and he's present, and, and I don't know if you've ever been in a tough time, but really when you're in a tough time, answers ain't helping. Presence helps. You don't need all the answers from your friend. You're trying to work through everything, but that doesn't matter. If someone sends you a text with the biggest answer, it's great, but what you need is presence, and that's what God is always going to bring into our life is his presence, and it's through a re revelation of his character, not just about our circumstance and that he's present. Think of the Hebrew boys. I think of Daniel in the lion's den. 
Think of this scenario right here with Paul and Silas. God brought his presence and revelation. Um, I think transformation. When you're, uh, it's always interesting to me, like the, the folks that have been married for like 50 years, and like all of a sudden they start looking like brother and sister, and like, wait a second. You guys come from completely different families. You didn't look like when you were 20, but now when you're 75, like you look alike. Like what happened? I don't know. You, they have the same haircut, and like everything's the same. They just transformed. And so I kind of think, like, that's going to happen to me and Taryn. I don't know. Uh, there's been stages, actually, where our hair was really similar. My hair was longer um, and super thick. So, but I think as we spend time with God, as we commune, as we're just with him, transformation happens. We start looking more like Jesus. We start looking more like the character of God, his patience and his goodness. And his faithfulness. We start looking when we're with him. And so it's not a matter of this religion and just getting caught in this rat race of religion. But in this relationship in which as we're just with him and we have the right approach. Like this power that comes out of that as he reveals himself. I have a new glimpse of who he is. And then we're transformed. I think there's a great freedom in prayer. And some of us use this freedom just to continue sinning, like we pray the prayer of repentance so we can go back and, and sin some more and feel better uh, about ourselves. And, and so that's one aspect of it. Um, I'm going to be a couple minutes. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. This is like halfway. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're good. You're good. I, I told him my third point was the power, and so that's when he was coming up. But it's the next. I'm doing it again. <laughs> so, um, so freedom is one aspect of it. Um, and that God wants, when we come in, I think we can abuse this, where it come in like, oh, I said my little prayers of repentance, and now I go back to sinning. No, what Jesus said was, go and, and sin no more, is what he said the, to the woman caught in adultery. He said, go, leave your life of sin behind. So it's leaving that behind, and that's the freedom that comes, is when we begin to walk in the life that God's called us. It's not just saying the prayer to feel better, but it's saying it, and then walking in the freedom. And then uh, lastly, I think here is effectiveness. I know some of you got super nervous when he's like, oh, he's halfway. I was done. Um, that'd be really nice. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm going to keep digging in. Uh, is that okay? Is that okay? Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Our prayers get effective when we come to the plate with the right approach and understanding the purpose in a mature manner. The power like, that, becomes, um, that begins to flow is we become more effective. We become more effective. I mean, how many of us would love to have our prayers be more effective that whatever we bound on earth would be bound in heaven? James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is, um, is powerful and effective. The power of it and effectiveness of a righteous person, someone that's washed in the blood of Jesus, who's, who's walking in communion with God. There's power in that, and it's effective. We want our prayers to be effective, effective and we wonder why it feels like we're hitting things. I just see God doing some incredible miracles in your life. When we can get this in order, we start approaching it the right way. I believe that God wants that. Um, but, we, but it can't just be all willy-nilly in just like whatever uh, way we want to pray. We've got to get the, the right um, kind of approach and purpose and power here. Let's talk about worship for a few minutes because that's the other aspect. I know this is a little bit of a longer message than what I would normally do. Um, but I, I want to dive into this. Um, let's begin to talk and unpack worship for just a moment. Because they're in this place, and they're singing hymns to God. And I, I think in our modern context, when we begin to think about worship, we begin to think about music. And music is a powerful uh, venue for that. It's a powerful place for that. But obviously, worship isn't music. It's not. It's not 
a couple of songs. Worship is glorifying God. And so if you say you come here to worship, but all you do is sing songs, like, like you're missing it. You're, you're missing it. And the, the thing that I want us to understand is that God is jealous over our worship. That we're, in fact, created to glorify the Father. We're created to bring him honor. I think it's in just the intricacies of, of our design and, and, and male and female and our uniqueness of our personalities and our hair color and our eye color. I think just reflect the beauty of God. And, and you look at everything that's made in this world, just reflects that beauty that we're designed to worship God. And, and so I, I want to get into some things that, that do discuss some of the physical nature of worship. And some does play into the whole music thing. Because again, here, they're singing songs and others are hearing about this. And it had an impact on their lives in a really significant way. And I wonder how many more from there. So let's talk about worship. Let's talk about the posture of worship. Because we see a lot in Scripture on posture when it comes to worship, certain encouragements. Um, and I think the, the, maybe the best way to describe this, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. Posture of worship is, is just an outward expression of an inward reality, something that's happening. And I think there's also an element, and this, we have to be careful with this and make sure that we're praying honestly, we're worshiping honestly. Uh, one of my mentors in worship um, shared with me once, he said, God prefers your honest complaint over your hypocritical praise. He prefers some honesty, you know, over you just doing it. And I think there's a difference from that and when you're in that fire, like worshiping, when you're in that prison, when you're, you're in that bondage, like worshiping honestly, you can do that. So it's an outward expression of an inward reality. But I think you can also use posture, physical posture in worship as a way to help the heart submit because our minds are busy, Right? So let's take a, the most simple and the easiest that everyone in this room has done before in a service where we just close our eyes for a minute, or in prayer we close our eyes. I, I took Russian in college. I don't know why one does that, but I took Russian language in college and uh, was learning it, and it was so interesting. I went to a Christian school, my, my, my professor was a Christian, and we would say the Lord's Prayer in Russian at the beginning of every, every, every class. I don't remember it, so don't ask, but I can sing a song in Russian if you want to hear that another time. Um, but she would always pray with her eyes open. And like, that was like the first time I saw that. I'm like, I was like watching her, obviously. But it, it, first of all, it, a little bit creeped me out because she would just like look at you and she was like praying to God. It was a little bit weird to me. But then um, I, I began to understand that that's, it's not necessarily like, it's just a tradition for us. Really, in other parts of the world, that's just normal, actually. In other countries, like, they just pray with their eyes open. Like, like God, there's an understanding that God's presence is here, you know? Like, I don't have to go to some, some mystery place. God's here, you know? So that, that's a mind blower for me at that time. But that's just kind of a posture that we take because I think it helps us focus, right? Helps us kind of eliminate distractions. It, help us, it does help us focus. Like, if I was doing that... Maybe it's just culturally I've been raised like that. I just have trouble, you know, to keep my eyes open. I'm just looking at what everybody's, oh, somebody's picking their, picking their nose. Oh, somebody's falling asleep. You know, I'd be really focused on everything else. So it helps, it helps control the mind. It helps submit the mind. And so I think there's some postures that do that as well. Things like bowing down can bring us to a place of reverence. So let's look at, I think you have the Isaiah 29 passage. And this is the danger that we find in worship and what we see the prophet speaking to. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth. And honor me with their lips, but their hearts 
are far from me. Their worship of me is merely based, is based on merely human rules. They've been taught. So much of the Christian church needs to read this text. I mean that honestly. It's just the lips. And you may have come here today, and like the most honest thing you can do in this moment, and the biggest thing you could probably take away is just say, I just need to be honest. It's just been lips. It's just been religion. It's just been human teaching. But I want to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe that desires relationship with me. And that, that still taking on that posture of humility and honestly, honesty and con, um, the constant prayers. So there's these different postures we see in the scriptures. Uh, lifting hands, it's a posture of surrender. Um, it's sometimes, I mean, this, is, this sounds crazy, but even I, I, I've, I've learned like, the, 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 the way our hands can be shaped, I think, to me, have a connection to what I'm saying to the Lord. Like when I'm lifting my hands like this, it's surrender, it's praise, it's honor. And this can sound super religious unless there's just this heartbeat behind it, unless it's not just merely religious. And when I do this, I'm saying, God, I need you. I need to receive what you're, I'm listening to what you're saying. If others are praying for me, I do it with open hands. I do it like this and just say, God, I'm, I'm receiving. It's a posture that's, that's setting my mind and heart for what God wants to do in my life. And that may sound super religious and super like detailed and whatever. It's helping my mind submit to the, uh, whether inward and outward, it's just making it all in, in submission to God. Bowing down, is this the sign of reverence? Some in the scriptures would lay down flat out. That's what we see this man doing here right in front of them. Uh, bowing down, here's scriptural references. You can go and, and, and read those. They're all in the notes. Posture of reverence. Clapping hands, a posture of praise and, and just release and thanking God for what he's done. Singing, there's that posture of joy and release and can be so many other things. There's so many other different types of singing, but Psalms 100 talks about a posture of joy and coming to God with joyful singing and thanksgiving. So so much in our, in our bodily um, kind of actions that we can do to help our hearts submit, but it's also ones we see talked about scripture when it declares us to do this. Lift your hands when you come together. You know, clap your hands, sing songs to the Lord, bow down and, and reverence the God of the universe so that's the posture. Let's talk about the purpose of worship. And this is probably, on this worship element, I, I want you to get this more than anything else. Um, because we, we get this wrong a lot. Um, because we put, again, our circumstances, it kind of plays into the other thing we we're talking about. We put our circumstances first. Put our circumstances first. And really the biggest thing that we've got to grab a hold of is the reason, the purpose why we worship is, is just because God's worthy. It's just because he's worthy. Like, he woke us up today, but, and we can kind of begin to thank him for all his actions, and, and all of our worship becomes about what he does. And there's a place for that, and that's the, the second point, and don't leave that yet. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Why do we worship God? Because he's worthy. Not because we feel like it, because how many of you have days where you feel like worshiping? How many, we probably have a lot more where we don't feel like worshiping, right, than when we do. But it's not about how we're feeling. It's not about what we're going through. It's about that he's worthy. I'm telling you, if someone so grab it, it's going to change all of our life, honestly, when we begin to understand that this life living back is not about me, but it's about because he's worthy. I think the second thing is because... Um, is because he's good. He's not only worthy because he is good and because he does do mighty things. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts, why we release these things, is just to declare his goodness. 
And we release those things. So it's a response. I think they're all response. It's a response to his character and his heart. And it's a response to his hand and his works. So the heart of worship, the purpose of worship, is first and foremost because he's worthy. Because that never changes. Right? We're not always going to see his hand at work. Right? I've heard one pastor kind of refer to this as uh, the left hand of God. You always hear about the right hand of God working. But you never hear about the left hand. Sometimes God is working with the left hand. But that pastor said it's always, sometimes because the left hand's always working behind the back and you don't see what's going on with it. So God is good. If we do it just around actions when he's not moving in a mighty way, then we'll stop worshiping because it's only on the actions. But if it's because he's worthy, we'll always worship. Uh, let's end with power. That is your cue. <laughs> <laughs> You guys have looked so good up there, making me feel comfortable. Yeah, you could have set the moon. Yeah, I like that. Um, let's talk about power. I think there's, there's three elements of this. And, and just break them down briefly, because I know you're probably tired of hearing my voice. Um, I think the first is joy. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of unpack these backwards. I think there's joy that in the midst of your circumstance, when you want to eject there's joy in the middle of that circumstance. And communion with God, I believe, unpacks that for us. I think if you look to Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, right hand brought up. There's freedom. There's, there's joy in the presence of God when we encounter him. Whether you're in the prison or whether you're at work, whatever you're going through, there's joy. I think there's a great amount of freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So even when you're shackled, it's just physical stuff just physical stuff. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we're free on the inside. And, and I can say this, and, know, and I know that every person in this room will know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I, I've seen people on the other side of the bars that are free on the inside, but not free on the outside. And I've seen people that are free on the outside that look worse off than people that are on the inside. God wants that freedom in our heart. And when we release those things to him and, and quit just focusing on the circumstance, but just give glory to God, he's going to do incredible things. And I, and I believe um, a big one here is revelation. When we focus our attention on the Lord, we get a picture of him, just like with prayer. We get a, a new picture, a new vision of who God is. And that revelation is, sometimes it's for our circumstances, but almost all the time it's of his character that he's with us, he's present with us. And so I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't know if uh, you're obviously not in a, in a physical jail, but maybe there's, a, there's some real things that are happening in your life, or maybe you're just new to this whole walk, or maybe you've been a, a part of the, the Christian walk for a long time. It's just gotten stale, and we, maybe we've lost this constant relationship with the Lord, this communion with the Lord, this this praise, even in the middle of awful circumstances, this worship, this joy 
in the middle of whatever's happening. God wants to give us a life in communion with him that's not based off the circumstance, but comes out of communion with him and a relationship with him. And so I want to invite you to stand this morning.